doesn't like confrontation. Yeah, I mean, who really does? I know, I knew that was coming. My wife was going to be the first one to say it. Um, but, but really, really, I thought about this too, because I was like, I know Ivy's going to say that I love it. And truth be told, I've been told for a long time that I should have been a lawyer, that I love to argue, I love to debate, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe I like that a little bit, but if we're honest with ourselves, many of us may think we like confrontation uh, because we just have a little bit more of a pit bull personality and it may come easier to us, but if we're honest with ourselves, none of us actually like confrontation. Why, why is that? Because we don't want to hurt people. Like, I, I don't want to hurt someone. We also don't like when people don't like us. So that's another reason. Why would, we, why would we want to hurt somebody, and then why would we want people not to like us? And that's typically the results you get from confrontation, right? But if you are that person, and you're in the room tonight, and you're like, I like to hurt people, and I like people not to like me, then you may want to reconsider this whole thing because those two don't really go together. Um, but anyways, the truth is there seems to be two, type of, two types of people. Those who confront too quickly, and I often, that is me, confront too quickly, even without thinking about what you're going to say, or there's those who do not confront at all. Just become silent. I'm not dealing with it. This is my confrontation. It is my silence. So tonight, I want to attempt to find a balance between these two extremes. I want to attempt to share with you, catch this, how to fight right in your relationships. Now, if you've been with us, we've been talking a lot about marriage. A little bit about dating, a lot about marriage. But tonight, I want you to peer into this. I'm going to reference it as a husband and wife marriage a lot of times. But I want you to peer into this through whatever lens of life that you're walking in, walking in right now. So whether that be marriage, whether that be dating, whether that just be your friendships, or whether that just be relationships in everyday encounters that you have with strangers. So whatever you need to do tonight for this to fit your relationships, this is for you. This is for your relationships. So I have titled this, How to Fight Right. How to Fight Right. If you're familiar with the Bible, um, fighting is kind of counterintuitive to what the Bible teaches. You know, it constantly, paraphrasing, it constantly talks about how fighting is not the route, not the good way. But I was sitting in bed the other night as I was preparing, thinking about this message, and I was like, you know, I get it, God. I get that fighting's not the way, but, like, if it's just between you and me, God, um, like, there's no way not to fight. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Has anybody come to that reality? Especially in marriage. Like, if you don't fight, then you might not be married. You're, you're just married to, like, a statue, essentially, because 
Fighting seems to be a regular occurrence in relationships that I've found in my life. Maybe I'm just a horrible person. You're like, Levi, you fight too much. you got to get this thing figured out. So if that's the case, then just enjoy my therapy session. Um, Judges chapter 1 and verse 4. I want to show something to you tonight. And it says, when the men of Judah attacked, you don't need the context here. It says, when the men of Judah attacked, catch this, the Lord gave them victory over the Canaanites and Pezzarites, and they killed 10,000 enemy warriors at the town of Bezek. Did you see what I said there? Notice in that scripture, when Judah, when the men of Judah attacked, the Lord gave them victory. And everybody's like, Amen, brother. But notice, it's when they attacked that God gave them the victory. You're like, this is what I need for my relationships tonight. He's telling me to go at them. All right. But I want you to recognize it's when they attacked, God gave them the victory. It's when they took action. It's when they resolved. It's when they decided enough is enough. Here's my question to you tonight, and you're, you're going to be like, all right, uh, this, I either love this church, or the, I, don't, I don't like this church at all. I, don't, I can't decide. But here's my question to you tonight. How much longer until you initiate your war? How much longer until you initiate your war? You're like, Levi, I can't, get out, I can't wait to get out of this room. I'm going to initiate World War III in my relationships, and I might even record it for you to see later. But truth be told, many of us, we have battles and bouts and struggles in our relationships, and we're really good about, I'm, I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings tonight. Let me just preface this before I say this. This is coming from my heart and my relationships, and I hope it's something that you can peer into. It's something that I've found in relationships. I don't want to, you to think that I'm attacking you. Um, but we're really good at whining. We're really good at complaining. We're really good at sulking about our issues. Uh, but we aren't always willing to do something about it. And that's where I'm coming from tonight. When the men of Judah attacked, God gave them the victory. When they initiated their war, God gave them the victory. I want you to go from that perspective tonight. Maybe you're really good at talking about your issues, but maybe you're not really good about addressing your issues. And maybe it's, it goes something like this, talking about your relationships once again. We can't get along. All we do is argue. He never listens to me. All she does is nag. Does any of this sound familiar? Don't raise your hand, gentlemen. And we take our problems to everyone else other than the person we have the problem with. And we say things like, I try, I've tried. But tonight, I want to give us some tools to try the right way. Because I have a feeling what we have tried has failed for a reason. Because I'm not here to question whether or not you've tried. I'm here to address how to fight right. Because I think many of us have tried, but we've been trying in vain and in the wrong way. Now, before I do this, I want to admit, uh, I want to admit this. Scripture 
the scripture that I'm sharing here, as I, as I already said, might not be the perfect illustration because obviously the goal is not to kill your spouse. The goal, you know, like the men of Judah attacked and then God gave them the victory and 10,000 people died. Like, that's not the goal for your relationship. Don't misunderstand me tonight. The goal is not to kill anyone or have victory over your spouse or your friend or whatever your relationship is. Please don't misunderstand me. But the point is it's time to fight the right way to reach the ultimate goal of victory and harmony in our relationships. All right, enough of that. Let's get into it. The first way that I believe we try to fight the wrong way is criticism. I want you to look with me at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 and 21. Maybe you're familiar with these with these words, but it says, From the fruit of their mouth a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Simple way of putting it, your mouth can be used to build someone up or to tear someone down. And if we're honest with ourselves, I know me, I know I'm this way, I have, I have a tendency, our default setting in relationships tends to be always to point out the flaws in the other person. I mean, can anybody relate to that? I'm, I'm really bad about critiquing. I'm really bad about criticizing. And let me tell you something, criticizing someone might work as a motivational tactic for an athlete, you know, you, you, you see somebody like Tom Brady criticized for his, for his weight, for his speed, for his looks, et cetera, et cetera, gets passed up for seven rounds and then goes on to be the greatest quarterback ever. That might be a good motivational tactic for an athlete. Hey, bro, you're slow and you're terrible at football. And he took that and made lemonade out of that. But for a relationship, for a marriage, rarely does it ever work. When you critique someone, you're pushing them away. And you're putting them at odds against you. When you criticize someone, catch this, what you're actually doing is you're attacking their identity. That is why there's two words, and maybe you've heard this before, that you should never use in marriage. And those words are always and never. Imagine this. I-V-U never. I-V-U always. You see, I'm not dealing with an issue that I have with my wife. I'm attacking the identity of who she is. Because I'm using definite terms, and no human is actually perfect and bats a thousand every time. So never and always should never be used in a conversation that we have. Because truth be told, there's no truth to that. And I'm attacking her identity. And she's not going to respond well to that. It's like we listened to last week, if you were, if you were with us, 
when you criticize or when I criticize something in her or you criticize something in them, whoever they are, it's really just an insecurity that you're dealing with inside of you. You have to ask yourself, here's the question when it comes to criticism. And maybe this could solve a lot of our fights that we're having in our relationships. You have to ask yourself, do you want to resolve an issue that you have or do you want to change that person entirely? Because if your answer is to change the person, then you're the problem. But if you want to resolve an issue, then you'll have to stop criticizing and you'll have to start confronting the real issue. Do you hear what I'm saying? Because when you're criticizing someone, you're actually attacking that person's identity. So you're really attacking them. You're actually saying you always, you never, you're saying terms you shouldn't say, and you're saying you want to change who that person is. If that's the issue, then take a step back, and I think it's time we realize if it's not one thing and it's a thousand things, I'm the problem. If I want to change not the issue that I have with them, but rather them as a person, I'm the problem. Because there's something inside of me that's not right. All right, so I've told you criticism. We've got to cut out cri criticism. What's the alternative to criticism? Because I'm going to attempt to give you alternatives tonight. Because I know a number one tactic for me when I get in a fight is just to criticize. Okay, Levi, you tell me not to criticize. I'm kind of left sitting in silence. Tell me something that I can do that will be helpful. Tell me how to fight right. So an alternative is, and I, I love this word, you can convey. Convey an issue without criticizing the person, without attacking their identity. I like that word convey because convey it insinuates a patience it insinuates care for that person it insinuates consideration it insinuates thoughtfulness it insinuates empathy proverbs 15 1 says this a gentle answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger i think we got to stop criticizing because when we criticize, we're criticizing the person. But when we convey, we're taking our time. We're taking a step back. We're looking at it at the full picture. And then we're coming back and we're conveying through wisdom. We're conveying through patience. We're taking our time because we care about the other person. And it's no longer an attack on them, but how can we get better together? And then another aside to that, I think this is something we all can try in our relationships with people and with our spouses. Try celebration instead of criticism. This is a good idea for any relationship that you have. If you can't stand somebody that works with you, try instead of criticizing them, celebrating them. And you're like, I can't find anything to celebrate them about. I just can't stand them. Well, here's the thing. There's always something to praise. Find that one thing and praise it until you can't praise it no more. Instead of criticizing, celebrate and then watch what happens. You'd be amazed. People actually like 
when you celebrate them. And what you celebrate gets repeated. So when you're celebrating someone, they're like, oh, well, that sound, that, that's got a little bit of a different ring to it. She wasn't telling me I was naggy today because I picked up after myself. That sounds pretty good. And then that changes the heart of the person that you're celebrating. It's like, oh, I think I want a little bit more affirmation. I'm going to try doing something different. Try celebration instead of criticism. Another way that we try to fight wrong, catch this one, is resentment. It's a nasty word. You look at someone, you look at your significant other, you look at the person you're in relationship with, you criticize them so much, you, you never celebrate them, and it grows and festers, and then it becomes resentment. And you try to fight them by resenting them. You look at them like they are undeserving of your respect, undeserving of your love, undeserving of your admiration, and you begin to think that you know better or are better than that person. And this is a dangerous thing because you speak as though they are beneath you. This is very dangerous, especially within a marriage. I don't advise it. And it can be something as simple, because many of us think we're actually doing good. Oh, I held my tongue this time. Let me tell you something. It can be an eye roll. It can be a sneer. Or it can be a jab with your words. And don't think that your significant other or that person you're in relationship with or that friend that you have is not catching on to your body language. Because it can be resentful. And it's bitterness and it's resentment. And guess what? It's childish. There is no maturity present and it's strictly about proving your point. And proving them wrong. And you know what the root cause of resentment is? It's judgment. It's as if you're looking at your partner and saying in your heart, my shortcomings, my sins aren't as sinful as yours. The things that I do that bother you are nothing like the things that you do to bother me. Your weaknesses are worse than my weaknesses. My struggles don't amount to your struggles. And you start putting everything on this scale, looking at them like you're better than them, talking to them like you're, they're beneath you. And Jesus says it like this in Matthew chapter 7. It won't be on the screen, but Jesus says, hey, the standard you use to judge others will be the standard by which you are judged. Oh church, how quickly we forget how desperate we are for the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. How dare us think that we are better than our spouse, better than our friend. I'm telling you, 
you do not, and I've repeated this many times in this position, you do not want to keep score in your relationships. Because when you become a person who keeps score, let me tell you, Jesus is the only one with the perfect record. So how about instead of resentment, here's an alternative to resentment in your relationships. How about we try repentance? Jesus, I know I am guilty. Help me to see the plank in my own eye and stop focusing on the speck in my spouse's eye, in my friend's eye. Jesus, forgive me of my wrong. When I'm tempted to judge my spouse, help me to remember how you don't judge me. Instead of resentment, instead of looking at them as though they're beneath you, how about we humble ourselves and remember what Jesus has offered to us? How gracious He was to us and how we are no better than they are. I believe that repentance will work in our relationships. Because when I repent with God, when I recognize my fault, it puts me in a state of humility, changes my perspective of how I look at them. And the last one, last way we try to fight wrong in our relationships is defensiveness. I want you to listen to this one. I'm excited to preach this one. Defensiveness. I heard it say, said this way. You do not win by trying to prove your spouse wrong. You do not win by proving your spouse wrong or your friend wrong. You have to see, especially in a marriage, you have to see each other as a team, as a unit. And you're both in the game playing. So what happens is once criticism and resentment have taken place, trust has been broken down to the point that we won't even open ourselves to something our spouse or our friend is trying to communicate to us that we might even know to be true. We don't even give it a chance because we believe no matter what, that they're just attacking us. So what we do is we get defensive and we shift the blame to defend ourselves. It doesn't, matter. It doesn't even matter if there's so much truth to what they're trying to tell us. I'm to the point I can't even hear you because I'm setting up defenses against you. If you remember last week, Adam and Eve in the garden said, that they were naked and felt no shame. That was a metaphor. And if you look at it, that's what the marriage is supposed to look like. One flesh, naked, vulnerable, and felt no shame. That's the portrait. That's the metaphor. And once you get to defensiveness, that is the complete opposite. Because what you're doing is you're setting up a defense and one flesh is, is, is trying to separate and become two fleshes. 
And what we do is we, we walk around like, like we're boxers. We walk around defending ourselves with our hands up. Why? Because we got to protect ourselves. They're trying to attack me. So I've got my head down like this. I'm trying to protect myself. Listen to this. Matthew 26, 51 through 53. Oh, I'm so excited about this. But one of the men with Jesus, you know the story. Hold on, let me set up the story real quick. So Jesus has been betrayed, or about to be betrayed by Judas. Judas has already betrayed him in his heart. But he's leading the religious leaders to come and arrest Jesus. And he's like, hey, you'll know the one to arrest because I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. So they're in the garden, and Judas has just walked up and kissed Jesus. And then the men are coming to arrest Jesus. And, and, and they do just that. And this is what it says next. And Jesus is with his disciples. It said, but one of the men with Jesus, Peter, other, other, uh, ver- or other portions of Scripture tell us it was Peter. Uh, Matthew is being nice here. Um, says one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. Notice what Jesus says. He says, put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. You heard that before, live by the sword, die by the sword. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? Now, now I want you to catch this. Maybe you've heard live by the sword, die by the sword before. Many people think, and I've even been told this many times, many people think that live by the sword, die by the sword simply is just saying that violence begets violence. That if you live as a violent person with your sword always out, then you're a person that's going to die a violent death because you're just looking for violence. And yeah, I'm not negating that. There's probably a lot of truth to that. But I want you to see what God revealed to me within the context of this scripture, what it can mean tonight for us and what I believe it really means. Notice the context. Jesus and his disciples sitting here and they come up to arrest Jesus. They do. And then Peter pulls out his sword and then slashes the man's ear. And then Jesus is like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Put away your sword. Jesus also does a really cool thing that I didn't read. He actually heals the guy's ear. That's crazy. Like the guy that's arresting you to kill you, you heal his ear right before he arrests you. I'd have been like, buddy, you get some stitches. Um, But notice the context. It was to protect. Peter's not trying to get violent on them. What's he doing? He's trying to protect. He's trying to defend Jesus. Another another scripture tells us, it actually says that the disciples looked at Jesus. Hey, hey, should we get out our swords? Get ready? Jesus is like, no. Jesus says, you don't think... I could stop this if I needed to. I want you to catch that. Jesus is like, yo, have you, have you forgotten? I'm the guy who walked on water. I'm the guy that took just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and fed 20,000 people. Have you forgotten who you roll with? I could ask my father in heaven right now and he would send down thousands of of angels to protect us. 
And he would send them instantly. What is Jesus telling Peter here? He's saying if you live defensive, you will die defenseless. Jesus is saying this is my Father's will. It actually tells us this in Luke. That Jesus says, hey, this is the cup that I must drink. This is my Father's will. It must happen. And guess what? Guess why it's got to happen? So that you can have the ultimate victory. I must drink this cup. I must be arrested so that I can pay the punishment, pay the price for your sins. I must do this. Listen, when you marry someone, one flesh, meaning you need that person. You need that wisdom that they have. But if your hands are always up like this, you can never be in a posture to receive that wisdom. Because you're always defending yourself. You're always protecting yourself. This is so incredible to me because Jesus is trying to make the point this has to happen for your ultimate good, for your ultimate victory. We're not getting defensive now. Now's not the time to get defensive. In your relationship, now is not the time to get defensive. If you want the ultimate victory, because here's what's cool. Here, here's some more context for you. Live by the sword, die by the sword. You know what used to happen? This gives you more context with Roman soldiers during this time when they would go to war and they would use their swords and whatever, and then they would lose, when they would lose the war, guess what they would do? They would fall back on their swords and commit suicide. What's, what's Jesus saying here? Live by the sword, die by the sword. You can't get defensive if you want the ultimate victory. If you want the ultimate victory in your relationships, if you want harmony for your relationships, you can't get defensive. And listen, many of you right now, you're like, oh man, that's so good. I'm so happy I'm sitting here with my spouse because they really need to hear this. Because they are so defensive. But maybe... Just maybe consider this. Maybe you've been criticizing and not conveying. Maybe you've been resentful and talking at them as though they are beneath you rather than to them. And maybe you've failed to realize the grace you need and how you're no different from them. So defensiveness goes both ways. You both have to create an environment in your relationship where you make the other person feel safe to be vulnerable and to express their wisdom. Because you are one flesh. You need each other. We need each other in our relationships in this life. God made us for one another. So we have wisdom to pour out to other people and to our spouses but maybe if we're always attacking them, we've not made them feel safe, we've not made them feel like they can be vulnerable or transparent, then maybe that's the reason that they're being defensive. 
So maybe you are the defensive person and it's time to lay down your defenses. And maybe you're the person who's been the attacker and, and it's time to make this a safe environment. It's time to start conveying. It's time to start communicating. Here's the alternative to defensiveness. We must decide that we will ask the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. Instead of dis defensiveness, how about discernment? Discernment to take what we've been told from our significant other or the relationships we're in and to learn and to grow from it in our relationships. You see, discernment is the, uh, is the alternative to defensiveness because discernment requires the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the wisdom we need from what our spouse is trying to convey to us. If you'll notice everything I gave you as an alternative requires Jesus, requires the Holy Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. Because I know our initial reaction is always going to be to criticize. And, it, and it's always going to be to be resentful and it's always going to be to be defensive. But if we'll ask God to help us to celebrate, to be someone who recognizes they need to repent, to remember the wrong they've committed and how much Jesus has forgiven them, and then to be someone that goes to the Holy Spirit for discernment, willing to listen to their spouse, willing to listen to their friend, and really catch the wisdom that they're trying to share with them. And this is the last thing I'll say. Philippians 2, 7 and 8. Jesus says, He made Himself of no reputation. I mean, that alone can just preach. That's what we have to capture in our relationships. You want a healthy relationship with your friend? You want a healthy dating relationship? You want a healthy marriage? You want a healthy relationship with your mom or your dad or your cousin or your uncle or your brother? Whatever it is, if you want that healthy relationship, Jesus was the role model. He made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He had no reputation and he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Jesus says, hey, we're not doing the, the defensive thing. This has to happen. There are some conversations there is some wars that need to take place in your relationships. There is some conveying that needs to go on. It's time that we fight right. There is some things that have been left unturned. And there's some things that have been festering. You already know the people I'm talking about. They immediately came to your mind, probably at the beginning of this message. You know that you need to deal with some things. See, when the men of Judah attacked, God gave them the victory. They didn't even have to work for it. When you will initiate the communication in your relationships and be of no reputation, 
and humble yourself as Jesus did, watch everything turn upside down. You want to know how to fight right? Lay down your sword and take up your cross. The sword is not a symbol of attacking. The sword is the symbol of defending. Quit defending yourself and start trying to hear the heart of what people are trying to tell you. Because guess what? When you stop defending yourself and you humble yourself and make yourself of no reputation, nothing can hurt you. The path to victory is humility. I promise you, if you'll take up your cross, and what I mean by take up your cross is Jesus already took that cross, carried it for you, died on it, a brutal death, so that you could be completely forgiven, so that you did not have to carry that cross. But when I say take up your cross, I mean recognize that's my cross that Jesus went on that hill on. That's my sin that he bore. That's my shame. That's my guilt. Take up your cross means recognize that you are a sinner. That you are a failure. But Jesus, of no reputation, chose you in spite of that and loved you anyways. Unconditional love that I cannot explain and that we can never fully comprehend. He took that cross. So when you take it, it's going to change your relationships. And I promise you this, a cross is a lot heavier than a sword. If you take up the cross, you'll recognize you're too consumed with, man, I was so bad. I went so wrong, but he made me so right. You'll be so consumed by that that you won't even be able to muster up the strength to pick up a sword because all your strength is in recognizing the cross that he bore for you. Church, this can change your relationships. This is my last relationship message, but this is so pivotal. It's so crucial. If you could catch this, it could change everything in your relationships. And it all starts and ends at the cross. Let's pray.